The Catholics and some Protestants have Lent. Islam has Ramadan. But here in the secular progressive religion in the U.S., we are about to enter our holiest month. We'll start there on the Core Track Show. Sure, talking about this month that gets called Pride Month as a religious holiday sounds snarky, but if, if you've been listening to me for any really any real amount of time, you know that's it's very real. We have a, a secular progressive religion in the United States of America. One of its main tenets is sexual liberation above all else, sexual identity above all else, before you are anything else. You are what you are attracted to. Before you are anything else, you are your sexual impulses. You are not your parents' kids. You are not your spouse's. You're not your spouse's spouse. Sure, you are not. Yeah, uh, you're not your kids' parents. Whatever you are, the thing you are are your sexual impulses, and we are going to celebrate that for a month. I mean, I'm not. You're not likely if you're listening to me. But that's where we stand. And I had some deeper thoughts on that that go into several. I mean, they have several tentacles, including that. Uh, controversy around the Dodgers game, and then a pastor in Dallas named Josh Howerton who put out a tweet thread and Instagram thread about preaching to women and some pushback he got recently. I want to push on everybody here. I want to challenge everybody, and we'll get started on all of it in just a moment. And that it's that, and it's a lot more today. I want to talk a little bit about this debt deal. There's some now some real data coming out about our marijuana usage now that it is so widespread and maybe some of the secondary effects of that. And maybe a couple other items if we can get there. My name is Corey Truax, host of the Corey Truax Show. So that worked out really well. Amongst other things, I get to serve the pastor for teaching. No, I don't. Amongst other things, I get to serve the people of Beachwood Church as their pastor for teaching. And it's one of my favorite things I get to do. Those folks are great. If you do not have a church home or you're new to the area, you're in the upstate of South Carolina, someone around here told you about the show, you are invited. We'd love to have you out. So a good time Sunday mornings. We start at ten thirty. I do want to start with the impetus of that Dodgers game. The facts of the case are that the Los Angeles Dodgers were going to hold a special day. Ballparks do this often with different affinity groups, and this special day was going to be for their the the alphabet people, LG, and then fill, however many of the other acronym that you want to fill in. And in that celebration, they invited a group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Maybe you can go ahead and pick that up as an obvious uh, parody of nuns, because there's all kinds of Sisters of Perpetual Mercy and Sisters of Perpetual Peace and things like that. That is an it's a parody group that does really nasty things. It's not like they are their they aren't a alphabet group, LGBT people, a support or celebration group. They are an anti-Catholic group. They are defined not by what they are for, but what they are against, including making a mockery of something that I don't identify with, but something with a billion and some odd people do. That's a nun. It's men dressed up sexually as nuns. They go so far as to do various lap dances, one including a person portraying Jesus on a cross, as if you're giving Jesus on the cross a lap dance. It's sacrilege, and if these men do not repent for what they've done, they will burn in hell forever for it. It will be the just the, the just thing for people who mock the God who made them and define themselves again, not by who they love and what they're proud of, mock primarily by who they despise and who they want to mock. This is the exact opposite of the 
modern day value. We are told of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We don't. It's not inclusive. You can't mock me of anything and tell me you want to be an inclusive person. The same way that I can't do that with you. I can't make fun of you and then say I want to include you. Those things do not correspond. So you know, so much so that in this controversy, one of the arguments as is that the Dodgers are going to do a, a Christian family night also this season. Yeah, you know what we won't do? The Christians that show up to that Dodgers game, they're not going to go out in the field and burn a pride flag. They're not going to do anything to a Koran. There's going to be nothing. Uh, done oppositionally on Christian family night out at the ballpark. That's in L.A. too, by the way, which is heavily Hispanic. I was there last year for the Southern Baptist Convention and heavily Catholic. And uh, maybe you heard, they pulled back on it, said they wouldn't invite them, and then secular progressive leftism, and it is L.A., it came in and they got invited, and so they got to go make their mockery. They got to go be mean to people in public and and got to be celebrated for that. They got me thinking. That, that is one of the microcosms of the two religions the, of America, the old religion, Christianity, and the new religion. You can call it humanism, secularism, secular progressivism, lots of different monikers we could give it. The two religions came into conflict, and the secular progressivism won. That powerful institution chose one group over the other, as most institutions do now. If you have a battle between the new secular progressive leftism, primarily acted out or often acted out in sexuality, then Christianity is the thing that can just go, it can be tossed. And I think it's something to consider, something to mark for us. It's been, we've been marking this for well over a decade now to recognize where we are and our place currently in the culture you're in. So that's one input that takes me down the the talk I want to have with you today. That conflict and who won and who lost. Next, I do come up on the reality that it's June and a bunch of people call that Pride Month and somehow or another just over the last few years it became very normal that every company, every entity has to do something, has to show they're celebrating. Not any different than Christmas. The same way that you got to put out your decorations for Christmas, you need to put out your shrines. You need to put out your symbols of your allyship because this is a national religion and it demands of its culture acquiescence and obeisance. And folks are doing it. This is leading to a conversation I think those of us in Christian world need to have. Those of us who are in Christian worlds almost explicitly or exclusively, excuse me, and interact in Christian worlds almost exclusively. We need to recognize how the folks who don't live like us live. Like I, Lived experience never affects the truth. The truth is the truth, objective, of no, no matter what someone feels or what they've experienced. But how we communicate the truth, I think, is, in, is better informed. It's wise. It's smart to recognize how people are experiencing the world and then choosing how to explain the truth. I'm, it's somewhat stark on my mind right now because as I talk to you, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm at a conference for work and it is a, uh, it's a software conference. Um, a little life update for me. Promotion and raise a couple months ago and I now run the enrollment software for my university. So I'm here learning about that and I'm just recognizing 
the language being used, the atmosphere and behavior, some of the attendees and their obvious identification in any of these groups, and then the, the wearing of the material, but like one might wear a crucifix, you might wear the situation, the a little lapel pin that's a rainbow. I suspect, because I'm talking to you on uh, May, 31st, May 31st, so tomorrow's the beginning of this, quote, Pride Month, end quote. I'm very curious tomorrow to see if this very secular company in a public setting like a conference tries to recognize it in some way. Knowing that there are Catholic universities here, there are Christian universities here, we all use the platform together. I'm, I'm actually almost expecting that tomorrow. And I'm getting a glimpse of the world where the people who go to my church work. I'm getting a glimpse of what the normal secular world is out here and outside of the bubble I have. I don't, I don't mind my bubble, I don't resent my bubble, but it does tell me the way I interact inside my bubble is effective. But I don't want to just affect my bubble. I, I want not just my Christian university, my obviously Christian church, my Christian household, my very Christian family, even the people I talk to at the gym, I don't talk to them a ton, often will give lip service to things that, of, of the faith. I, I live in this insular bubble. So when I talk about sex and sexuality, when I talk about how, how the world should be, how God ordered it, I'm, I guess I'm right, right? Because it's biblical. It's not that I'm right. I'm just basing on the Bible. But the world that I'm swimming in and living in would look at what the Bible says and just thinks it's backwards. It's not backwards. The Bible's right and they're wrong. And I want them to conclude that. And so I just got to know. I, I'm experiencing it while I'm here. In a conversation like that with an outsider, the content's different. The tone is different. At least I think it should be. And then recognizing there are some who would say to me, nope, nope, you just say it. Say what's true. If they can't handle what's true, that's on them. You just, you just let it fly. Let the truth fly. Okay, okay. I know. I know there are those of you like that. I love you. I'm, I don't think you're effective. I, the Lord might use you, certainly. I think sometimes in spite of you, and maybe sometimes, listen, that, that approach is, it's got its place. I just know it's not, it's not for me. Which leads me then to where I wanted to finish this conversation and have the, the longer part of it. So we're recognizing the world we're in. The Dodgers game showed us that. The, the predominant religion and what wins and the, the main ethic of our time, or at least the predominant ethic of our time. We're recognizing that companies and corporations just make the assumption of this sexual ethic. Oh, this actually just occurred to me. The same way that in 1960, it would have just been very normal to open everything in prayer or wear wear a cross on your neck. It's just super normal now to have a... A moment of, you know, I guess you wouldn't do a moment of silence, but to do some kind of something for recognition of all those that identify in this group, this LG, this alf, this alphabet group. It'd be just as normal. That that that's how much things have changed. There it, there wouldn't be a work meeting, a government meeting, a a conference, a, a software development conference that could have happened in nineteen. I guess there wasn't much software in nineteen seventy, but nineteen seventy Nashville. 
as normal as it would be, because everyone just kind of lived in that religion. Even if they weren't Christians, that was the religion they knew about. It was the it was their culture. It'd be super normal for someone to say, "Let's start uh, by by recognizing." Let's, let's say it was in March. Let's start by recognizing it's that time of year. We're going uh, going towards Easter. Uh, thinking about all of you and your communities and how and how much that time means to you, or something like that. It's now just as normal to say, you know, it's Pride Month. We're we're thinking about and celebrating all of those all those that practice other sexualities. That's how different the world is. That's the one we're living in. Which leads me to Pastor Josh Howerton. I know nothing about the guy. I know that he posted on Instagram and Twitter something that I found interesting and I'd like to respond to. I'm not saying he's wrong about anything, necessarily. Just I think he says the right thing and it, uh, there might be some information that we need to consider in it. Here's his headline. Preaching to women. He opens with, I may get some pushback here, but I need to gently point something out. Quoting from him, After preaching on the prostitute who anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and talking about her need for forgiveness and repentance, I got multiple messages strongly challenging my language. All right, so Josh Howerton in Dallas, Texas, goes into his church, preaches about the woman, the prostitute who goes to Jesus, Uh, anoints his feet with her tears, and says she needs forgiveness and repentance. That's what he says. Responses that he gets from his church members or people who listen to the sermon, presumably in person or through text or email, here's, this is what he says, they all went something like this. Quote, she was a victim and you talked about her as guilty. She needed shame removed from, from what men had done to her, not necessarily forgiveness for what she had done. It's very harmful to talk about a victim of an oppressive system as in need of forgiveness. This is victim blaming, end quote. So that's what he's getting back from his hearers. You talked about this woman as a sinner. She's not a sinner, she's a victim. She she doesn't need forgiveness. She needs to have her feelings of shame diminished and reduced because of what men have done to her, not because of anything she has done. It's going to be harmful. Uh, I think he said, I think, uh, I'll pull it back up here. It's harmful to think about uh, this, this vic- she's a victim. It's victim blaming because it's an oppressive system that she fell into. It's, it's, not, her, it's not her problem. Okay, I, I'm going to give Josh. He does a good job here, I, I think, in responding. He says, here's the problem with all those responses. Jesus in the story refers to her, to her as a sinner. He said, her sins, which are many, Jesus declares her a sinner and a lot of sins. They are forgiven. And then he gives, this is where I start to want to push a little. Is he wrong right now? No. Pastor Josh Howerton is right. He is denotatively, factually correct. I have no argument for anything he said. Then he said this. Watch out. Don't absolutize 21st century American progressive moral categories like power dynamics and intersectionality's oppressed oppressor lens. Quote, this tendency is making some aspects of preaching newly awkward. For instance, I've noticed it is socially unacceptable for a pastor to rebuke a woman's sins, weaknesses, blind spots, but the Bible is clear that women are just as sinful and in need of discipleship as men. I could go on. He's primarily making a point about women, and a lot of that I agree with. I just... I want us to consider this. The person listening to you, even if they're a church member, 
even if they're saved, you may hate this, Josh Howerton. You listening to me, you may despise what I'm about to say. They could be very worldly. They probably don't have a biblically shaped worldview. It's not your fault, Pastor. You get an hour a week. You get 45 minutes a week, whatever you typically preach. And your people are going to work. And they're being affected by their lived experiences. And they shouldn't be. No, I'm, t- I'm telling you, yes, Pastor Howerton, you're right. People shouldn't have their worldviews affected by these things, but they do. And so we've got a, we got a choice now where, where I've got women in the church listening to this sermon and need to know the truth that this woman is a sinner. This woman did need forgiveness. She wasn't just a victim. She could also be a victim, by the way. Both things can be true at the same time. She can be a victim of some men, but also she made her own choices. All that can be true. I know it can be true because Jesus called her a sinner and said her sins were many. I I can have that information. But then I think about my hearer. My hearers, yes, my Christian hearers, have been discipled in the idea that when it comes to men and women, men just have a power dynamic. And so any a woman can't make a sexual dalliance. She can't have a sexual sin because the men, especially in prostitution, the men forced her. She can't be the sinner here because an oppressive system kept her in poverty and she used all, all the only things she could to, to, uh, to, to provide for herself. Or just down to, you don't know people's stories. You don't know their background. You don't know this woman I work with who went through this. You don't know, and then you get into the other sexual sins like we are in this Pride Month. You don't know the person I work with and the things that they've done. Um, I, I got these people I work with, and they had these terrible experiences with church people when they were growing up about their sexuality and their sexual sin and how their sexual sin was treated differently than the guy's sexual sin instead of hers. These are all real things that have discipled our people into thinking wrongly about sexuality. And all I'm asking a Josh Howerton to consider, and for all of us to consider. The way that we say, yes, that woman is a sinner in need of repentance and forgiveness. To recognize the person that's going to hear it is going to think that's crazy. They're going to think it's backward and wrong. They're actually going to think you're the immoral one. You're the immoral one for saying it. And you might say, okay, well, I get the concept, Corey, then what's that sound like? I just think it sounds like this. With no rancor in my voice, I just want you to know that what I'm about to say, I, I know the world has, it's so, it really is sad as disciples, even the believers, into not thinking this way. So, man, you might even think it sounds radical. There are a lot of experiences that you've had in this room that people you are close to, that you love, have had that hearing this might really really cause some hurts to come up. Those are all real. And in a one-to-one fashion with people you trust, those are things to work through. So I, I want to acknowledge that what you're about to hear is going to hurt because of how you've been discipled by the world. But I want you to recognize just at least these two things. The consider that how you've been discipled and how you think it might not be right. Just op- open the category that maybe the biblical thinking is not how you think. And you, if you're a Christian, I hope you can say, I want to be shaped more by the Bible. I, I don't want to be shaped by my worldly thinking. And second, 
the fact that what I'm going to say is going to sound weird in this world isn't a good enough reason not to say it because I love you. The truth matters. Even uncomfortable truths matter. I wouldn't love you if I just if I didn't challenge what the world thought on this. And so I need you to to hear it. This woman who was a who was a prostitute probably had an incredibly hard story. No one chooses prostitution on purpose. They they end up in a situation, especially in our modern age, with they had a bad parental situation. All the wrong people took advantage of them. They probably end up addicted. It's unspeakably sad. And in that sadness, sin was also committed. Choices are made. And I'm not angry about any of it. I'm just saying it is sin. And you know what there is? The, the, the sins that were many, they can be forgiven. That's all I would want to get back to Josh. To Pastor Howerton, big pastor of a big church in Dallas. Yeah, I get it. The people who pushed back at you were wrong. Then maybe for us as leaders we recognize our people think wrongly. They don't live in the world I live in. Because if Josh Howerton would have said to me and a bunch of other pastors in a room, of course this prostitute's a sinner. That's not weird for us. We're theologically sound. Your, your people aren't. Our people aren't. The, for, for vast majority. I mean, I, Beachwood is a, it's a good ex, ex, uh, exception. Like our ratio of mature believers is pretty high. That's not the case for most churches. And even we could use some work. All right, I think that's all I, that's all I really wanted to get to was I recognize the world I'm in is secular progressive in all of its ethics. It's anti-biblical. The world, the bubble I've created for myself in this anti-biblical world is a highly biblical world. So the way that I talk about stuff in my highly biblical world is effective in my bubble, but if, if I get out my bu- outside my bubble, I don't know if it's going to work. And then I got to realize that the people that sit down in my church, or I'm going to re- I'm going to interact with in my church, they're not in my bubble. They went to work this week and have a has a coworker who is loud and proud, and is celebrating June. They went to work this week with folks who have a bunch of stories about Christians who hurt their feelings because they told them their their sin their sexual sin was sin. I got to. I have a bunch of people sitting in the pew who went to work this week, have people in their families who had really horrific childhood situations and what and their reactions to that were sinful. No question, they were. And the it manifested itself in really hard ways. And so I, it's just a question of effective communication. That's all I'm trying to land on. It's more, more and more I fall, not fall, the more and more I... What's the word I'm looking for? Well, consume. Consume content from some folks I'm considering to more and more theologically my tribe. Sometimes the way they talk just makes me think, you haven't talked to an unbeliever in like years, have you? And you've only, you've only talked to super mature Christians. Like That's your entire audience, isn't it? Like You, you don't season anything with salt, do you? Like It's just laid out there. Here's how it is, period, bottom line. Oh, oh, oh. Maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a milk toast squish. Maybe I'm that. I'm just telling you, I, my heart is I want to be effective. Maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the way to do it is just let it fly. Don't think about your hearer. 
but it's one of the things I'm obsessed with, honestly. I I think when I th- when I'm going to preach, especially, but any kind of public public speaking setting, I think about who's going to hear it. In a preaching setting, I first want to always just think: Do I have this correct? And is it God honoring, not self-aggrandizing? But in, in public speaking or in one-to-one communication, I've taught some of that, not in a college setting, but in seminar settings, I've taught public speaking at conferences. That's actually, you, yeah, yeah, I have this lesson one. Lesson one is, who am I talking to? If you know your audience and you will tailor it to your audience, you'll do really well. If you'll ta- tailor your length of it you, uh, to who you're talking to. If you're talking to 10-year-olds, don't go for, you know, you can't talk for an hour and a half. If, if you're talking to uh, a group of people who are novices at your field that don't use a bunch of lingo and jargon they're not going to understand. Talk to them like novices. I, just know your audience is a, a part of effectiveness. And I've gone way longer than I wanted to on this. So let's let's leave it there. Uh, and you can respond if you want. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can find me on any of those. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. You're listening to the Corey Truax Show wherever you find podcasts. Let me give you at least one or two more stories I wanted to give you this week. This is from NBC News. From their health desk, the headline is, Marijuana linked to mental health risks in young adults growing evidence shows. Subheadline: New research involving millions of people worldwide over decades adds to the worries that heavy use of high-potency cannabis could exacerbate the mental health crisis in the U.S. In short, if I can sum it up for you, here's what they find. That where there is big mental breaks, like we're talking bipolar episodes, manic episodes, like when someone has... uh, I'll read this to you. There's a... The U.S. National Institutes of Health found evidence of an association between cannabis use and schizophrenia. There was a another you there was another cannot find it. There's definitely a a link. There's a correlation between cannabis use and uh, big psychotic breaks, and they they put those in different categories. Here's all I w- want to say about it. Uh, I guess two things. One, th- we. We weren't really sure about this, were we? Like marijuana use? The country largely uh, just wanted it. They wanted... Enough people wanted recreational use without risk of criminality. And then enough other people just said, yeah, I don't care. It just it just seems like another way to turn your brain off. We already do alcohol. Why not this too? Fine, whatever. And then a lot of states started doing it. So it, it's... It seems now that we've done this for a few years, we're getting in the results. One of the results, it seems, is there is a direct correlation between psychotic breaks and then major mental illnesses. Like, schizophrenia is no joke, guys. One of them was borderline personality disorder, which I don't even know what that one really means. Like, there's there's a lot here in this. I mean, guys, this is not published in a conservative uh, or Christian outpost. This is NBC just reporting on the National Institutes of Health. If any two institutions wanted to say marijuana is great, it'd be NBC and the National Institutes of Health. But they are finding that it exacerbates mental health issues. And then I look at my country, who is, I mean, a country swimming 
and mental health issues and drugs, powerful drugs, to try to mitigate and medicate those mental health issues. And while we're trying to mitigate and medicate those mental health issues, which is a real crisis in the country, we have, on the other side, people who are either activating or exacerbating, exaggerating existing mental health issues they might have had, mental diseases they might have had by the use of this. So that's one. We didn't really know what we were doing. And now we're starting to get some data and maybe we should maybe we should think about it some more. And then second, I, I'm not I'm not well versed in the topic well enough yet to give you a hard uh, a hard opinion on some of the other derivatives of cannabis. My understanding is there are folks like when there's no there, some of these other derivatives have no effect of you losing your faculties or ability to control yourself or uh, this doesn't it doesn't limit you in any way. My understanding is that there are derivatives and variations of cannabis that do that. I can't think of a reason I'd be opposed to that. I could be I could be convinced if there's something I don't know. But the the marijuana we have now, now that it is regulated, my understanding is that it's more consistently potent and effective. So just I mean, for the Christian, I would generally uh, I would generally discourage it. This is again, it's new. It's a new thing. Even in, in in inside the church and outside the church, we have some some conversations to have. I think here's some new information we need to consider. That you know, we always want to be under the control of the Holy Spirit and not any given substance. That's one concept to consider. But also, we now know there's some serious risk here to. Uh, to laying into laying on our already stretched resources when it comes to mental health, uh, that mar- marijuana is making it much much worse. Two more things in the Corey Truax Show, uh, wherever you find podcasts, and I think we'll be done. One is the debt deal. My understanding uh, on at least where I am where I am tonight in Nashville, Tennessee, we're about fifty minutes away from the House voting on it. It appears it does have enough votes to pass. I think the Senate will pass it and we'll move on. Uh, this is, I think, the best you're going to get in a divided government. It's not good. It's a bad thing. But it's the best you're going to get in a divided government. Which then links to the third, the, the fourth and final thing I wanted to give you. There are now, this is from the Washington Examiner, reporting from the Census Bureau, uh, for the first time in American history, there are, are now more people in their 60s, not just 60 and up, more people in their 60s than there are children under 10. I just want you to think about that for a second. More people in their 60s than there are people under 10. Now, think about debt deals when we think about budgets. How do you suppose that works when it comes to Social Security? We have more old people than super young people. The baby boomer generation is larger or was larger than the millennials now that boomers are dying off. That's not the case. Millennials are currently the largest strata in our or largest largest subset in the strata. We we have this debt fight, which was I thought was good. I mean, we we need to get it under control. I mean, just in my adult lifetime, it's gone up by. I guess that's that two thirds. Like when President Obama took office in January '09, I think it was just under eleven trillion dollars. It's now thirty one trillion dollars. So I don't know how 
how to say that mathematically. It's like, did, did it go up 200, 200%? Or it's, it's huge. And it's relationship to our GDP. Huge. Like, it's, it's got to get under control. Just a situation, well, I'll give you the prediction, I think, what ends up happening. The situation is the actual solutions, which have to do with cutting future benefits for older people. It's saying to people like me, you can stop paying some taxes, but you're not going to have Social Security. You have to plan. You have to plan for your own retirement. The government will not do it for you. You have to do it. That's the solution as we run out of children to, to pay for all these programs. Even for Medicare, it's saying to my generation, I'd go the 40 and unders. You know, you paid this much taxes, you're going to have this kind of benefit, but hey guys, it's up to you. You're going to have to take care of your bodies. You're going to stop eating like you're eating, being inactive like you're inactive. You're going to have to actually take care of yourself as you age because we can't do it. We can't afford to anymore. And again, let's call it the 40 and overs. Maybe nothing changes for them. You do a graduated system. That is the solution to all of our debt problems. The thing we have, the thing we just did just nibbles around the edges of some of some discretionary spending. Because at, at this point, if, if I saw the numbers correctly, it's like 70% of our budget is now mandatory. 70% of the budget is paying the interest on the debt we have, uh, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. And I think those that's it. Those four things make up like 70% of the federal budget. That doesn't, that doesn't even get us to the military yet or then a lot of other welfare programs. Like, it's it's good that we got some kind of cap on future growth. That's all. That's really all this achieved was a cap on future growth, and then just some symbolic wins like requiring people who don't have kids, who don't have a physical disability, like to have to work if they want government benefits. That's a good good symbolic and for that matter, good moral win as well. But I've, this is not a sustainable thing. We we can't just we can't just keep having almost no children. As the country gets older, restrict immigration because you could do it that way. You could just, I mean, there's plenty of people. Like you think of the four most populous countries in the world. I think it goes India now. Yeah, India's number one. It goes India, China, Nigeria, Malaysia. I think those are your top four, and they are overcrowded in those places. You want to start trying to let more of them in? Cool. I guess that's one way to do it. Uh, but if you don't. These debt deals, which again, this one was fine. It was the best you can get. These debt deals don't mean anything for what we need to do going forward. Okay. There's a lot in there. I know especially that first topic, there's a lot to mull over. And especially because I have a lot of church leadership people that listen, I'm open to critique. And I mean that. Let me stop and say that slower. I am open to critique. And also, though, I hope you are too. If... You heard what Josh Howerton said and said, that needs no critique. So I, I can be I can be critiqued. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just look for my weird name, Corey Truax, and you will find me there. Before we go, just looking at my prep sheet, make sure I didn't miss anything I wanted to say, and I did not. Um, I'm in Nashville uh, for a couple more days. I, uh, I'll give you this personal note. I used to love to travel for my job. That was one of the big perks. When you get married, it's not fun anymore. Like I'm ready to go home right now. And I'm looking forward to this. Nashville's great or whatever, and I, I need to learn. This is a good conference for me. It's a good thing for my, my professional development that I'll be able to continue to take care of my family, my household, and have other opportunities in the future. 
all yes, it's all very good. But man, when you get married, I never thought I never thought I'd be this guy. I thought I would always love to get out on the road, go do fun things. And now I'm just like, I want to go home. I want to go home to my wife. I want to go home to my dogs. Yeah, that's a new life change for me. All right, I got to get out of here. I'll be back. I think maybe on early next week, or it could be if I get bored and lonely tomorrow, I'll just come to this microphone and talk some more. If I get to the hotel and just get sad. Just kidding. I'll be back sometime here soon. And until next time, everybody, peace and love.